You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. God is right here, man, and he wants to do some business today with his children. He loves you so much, and uh, man, I'm excited. Turn to your Bibles to uh, uh, Matthew 11, I guess if you've got an iPad like I, you don't turn, you just click, but Matthew 11, verse 11. Let's look at Matthew 11, verse 11. If you're wondering where my accent was, if you wasn't here last night, I'm from out east, way out east, from the UK, originally moved here 13 years ago, haven't lost our accents. Our children have, they all sound American. They make fun of me. They do, seriously, they make fun of me, which is a bit weird. And then our daughter, we've got uh, Zach, who's 21, he works for us, he's also studying business at college. We have our son, Joshua, who's 20, he's actually a, um, working full-time at a church in Arizona. And then um, our daughter, Hannah, is 18, and um, she's, uh, she's getting married next year. When she was about 14, 15, apparently for like 14, 15-year-old girls, I don't know if this is true or not, but like the English accent's cool. So they try and do it. Turn to Matthew 11, by the way. You can be doing that while I'm, while I'm rambling. And um, she'd come out of school. I'd pick her up from school, and she'd come out of school with like a gaggle of, is it a gaggle of girls? Like a gaggle of girls. I don't know if that's official or not, but anyway, like a gaggle of girls. And I'd see her coming towards me and all these girls around. And I'm like, what is going on? And she said, Dad, they don't believe me that I'm English because she sounds so American now. She said, say something in English. So all these girls are there, and I go, how you all doing? <laughs> I'm from Texas. She goes, no, Dad. They're like, see, Dad, I told you. Anyway, so why do I say all that? Oh, um, yeah, Hebrews 11, 11. And I was going to tell you quickly about Hannah, wasn't I? I'll maybe see, see if I can squeeze that in later. But anyway, uh, Matthew 11. Let's look at verse 11 for time's sake. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 11, 11. He says, Here assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Verse 12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Man, there's so much in these two verses and um, I want to unpack a little bit of this. I was praying, I really feel like this is where the Lord wants to go. So the first verse here, verse 11, assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let me show you the spiritual truth right here. He who is least in the new covenant, he has been born again in the new covenant, is greater than anyone who lived in the Old Covenant. That's how powerful the New Covenant is. That's how different it is. The New Covenant is completely different from the Old Covenant. And the people of the Old Covenant, they, they dream to see what we're living in right now. In fact, uh, Kent shared a dream. I shared a dream I had a little while ago. I'll share this with you. I don't say this that often, but I had a dream a little while ago. And I, said, and I thought to myself, you know, the God we worship now, the God who's in our midst right now, the Lord that lives in you right now, it's, he's the same God who spoke to Abraham. He's the same God who, who you know, Enoch walked with. He's the same God that King David went out in the back fortune and worshipped. And, and, you know, that, it's the same God. And I was, had this, and in this dream, I went to heaven. It was so powerful. I was like, wow, I'm going to be like a kid in a candy store when I get to heaven. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go looking for all my heroes, okay, our Hebrews 11 heroes, and go and find them. And I'm going to go to Abraham go, Abraham, what was it like to be called friend of God, a friend of God. What was it like to, I mean, what was it like back then? And then I run over to King David. I say, King David, I say, what was it like to be called a man after God's own heart? 
And I'd go up to Elijah and I'd say, Elijah, what was it like to, you know, do these exploits for the Lord and see someone raised from the dead for the first time? I'd go and ask all these, all these people, Noah, what was it like to build a boat before it ever rained? I mean, you know, what was you thinking? And, and I mean, it's like going up to all these great people of faith. You can read them all in Hebrews 11, the, the great heroes of faith, the, the hero hall of fame in Hebrews 11. I'd go up to all these characters, all my heroes, and say, what was it like? And, and talk to them and share stories with them and find out what it was like for them to live. And in this dream... What happened was the tables got turned real quick and they turned around to me and they said, you're Ashley. And I said, yes. They said, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit indwell you? They said, we only had the Holy Spirit visit us now and again. Then he would leave. We never had the Holy Spirit indwell us. What was it like to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and never leaving you, not forsaking you? I was like... That's awesome. He said, what was it like to have the Bible? We never had the Word of God. We never had a complete Word of God. We had little bits here and there. We never had the Word of God. You had the Word of God from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. You had the whole thing laid out. What was it like to have the whole Word of God right in front of you? They'd be like, it was awesome. And then they'd say to me, these are our heroes of the faith. These are Hebrews 11 heroes are going to be talking about us like this. What was it like? To know that God came down in the flesh. What was it like to have a a man walk on the earth as God in the form of Jesus? What was it like to have Jesus? And then what's it like to have Jesus living with you, living in you, living through you? What was it like to have that personal relationship with God? What's it like to dwell in the most holy place all the time and not have to just one person do it once a year with a rope around his ankles in case he did something wrong they have to drag him back out again? I mean, that's, that's how strong the presence of God was. What's it like to dwell in the presence of God all the time? Be like... It's awesome. They'd be like, what's it like to have the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to be able to have words of knowledge and word of wisdom and, and to be able to pray in a prayer language? What's it like to have a personal prayer language between you and God? What's it like to be able to pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Holy Spirit? We were never able to do that. What's it like to pray in the Holy Spirit? I'd be like, it's awesome. And then say, what did you do with all that power? What did you do with all that? Because all we had was a little bitty tiny bit. I mean, the Holy Spirit used to visit us now and again. We just had a little bit. We had, you know, Abraham didn't even have the word. He just had like one word from God, you know, the stars and the sand. And they'd say to me, we only had these few things. And we conquered nations. We saw the dead raised. We saw, you know, uh, whole armies turn to flight, 100 to 1 odds. We saw walls fall down, supernatural things happen, provision, protection, all these amazing supernatural things. What did you do with all, the, all your power? What did you do with all what you had? What did you do? And I'd be like, well, I mean, I worried about my interest rate on my mortgage. I mean, they say it could go up. <laughs> it's like, you know, I got offended at brother so-and-so because he wasn't real nice to me, you know, and he, he said these bad things about me. And then, man, and then, uh, you know, I got worried about what was going to happen in the, in the uh, politics and I'd be worried about this and I was worried about that. And they'd look at me like, are you kidding me? They'd be like, hey, Elisha, come over here, you've got to hear this. <laughs> this guy has all this stuff, all this power available to him, and he spent his life living like a carnal man. How sad is that? And in this dream, it wasn't a condemning dream, it was just a wake-up call. I was like, praise the Lord. And I read this verse, the Lord showed me this verse, and I realized, you know what Jesus is saying here? He's that John the Baptist was the greatest person born under the old covenant. But compared to the person born in the new covenant, everybody in the new covenant is greater than all the Old Testament heroes. That's the truth. You have more than any of the Old Testament heroes just because you're a new covenant believer. You could get born again and die five minutes later and have more available to you than the Old Testament heroes did. That's sobering. That's sobering. We have so much in Christ. And if we would only realize what we have in Christ, you know, our, our faith becomes effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that's already in us. 
We, that's what we need to do. We need to acknowledge who we are in Christ, and then those things are going to come out, and we're going to actually start to be able to walk. I think we're going to get to heaven. This is a little bit ashiology, I guess you'd call it. But I think we'll get to heaven, and when it says the Lord's going to wipe away our tears, it was like, I lived like that when I had so much available to me. I lived with like 1% of my potential. I let all these things get to me when they didn't have to. I had all this power on the inside of me, and I didn't use it. That's, that's sad. I don't want to get to heaven and think, man, I should have used what I already had. We already have everything we need. Praise God. And God wants us to use it. So anyway, that's type of like a little subsection right there. But this is, and I've got his Hebrews 11, 13. Let me just read you this. Hebrews 11, 13 says, these all died in faith. Talking about these Old Testament heroes. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. See, none of those people received the true promises. They never received the promises of God. We sang that today. All the promises of God, 2 Corinthians verse 120. All the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for them. And until Jesus came, until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, those promises weren't available to the old covenant believers. So they did not have these promises. All these died in faith. They were in faith. Okay, we don't want to be too hard on them. They were in faith. In fact, they, they were very much in faith. We'll see that in a minute. They were in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed them that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They never related to, to you know, just to being a human nature. They were like, no, we are, we've got more than that. But they longed to look on these things. It even says this in, um, I think it's somewhere around Peter, it talks about how angels long to look on what we've got right now. Because these things are, these things are, are new things. These are new covenant things. And when Jesus came down, and took our place, everything changed. And now we have a new covenant, and everything changed. I'm telling you, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. It's all about Jesus. You know, Pastor Liz says, you know, I love the Word, but I love the Lord. Well, first, John 1, 1 is the Word became flesh, right? And the Word was God. I mean, you can't separate Jesus and His Word. And everything we do needs to be centered around Jesus, needs to be centered around the Word of God, because it changed everything. I tell people, really, Jesus was grace personified. When Jesus came down... He was grace personified. He took the place and he did everything we needed to do. He took on, he, you know, on that cross, he became sin. Think about that. He never sinned. He never experienced sin. He was a perfect man, the only perfect man that's ever lived. But on that cross, he experienced sin. Like he took on that guilt and shame and filthiness of sin. God made him sin, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. God made him sin and knew no sin. Why? Or 2 Corinthians 5, 20, I guess. Who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of God through him. So we took on Jesus' righteousness. So Jesus became sin on that cross for us so that we could become his righteousness. It's powerful. I'm telling you, it's powerful. He, he was it, uh, first, uh, first uh, Peter 2.24, he took stripes on his body, right? He took on pain on his body and took on that pain in his body. Why? So that we could be healed. It's the great exchange. This is the gospel. He took anxiety, you know, he was so anxious, he was sweating tears of blood, he was so anxious and so, so uh, tormented in his mind in that just before we went to the cross, he took on all that worry, anxiety, so that we could have perfect peace, peace that goes beyond understanding. He's paid the price for all of this. He took on poverty, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that us through his poverty might be made rich. He took on, he experienced poverty. You know, when he went to the cross, they did a worldwide study of what's the worst type of poverty you can experience. And they said the worst type of poverty, this is a secular study, the worst type of poverty you can experience is being uh, thirsty and naked. Because, you know, in America, you know, England's the same. And I'm an American citizen now, so I can say we're, you know, so in America, we're type of, we don't really understand proper poverty. I'm not belittling things, but, you know, really, real extreme poverty. We've been to Asia and Africa and Central America. We've seen kids on, on, 
on trash heaps and things like that. I mean, this, we've seen poverty. But they said the worst type of poverty that a man or woman could ever experience is being thirsty and naked. If you can't even drink and, and haven't even got any clothes, that's the worst type of poverty. How did Jesus die on the cross for you and me? He died thirsty and naked. He took on extreme poverty so that we wouldn't have to. So Jesus took our place in these things. This is the gospel. This is grace. This is already a finished work for you. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you received the life of Christ, you received all those things. You received his righteousness. Even if you keep on sinning in the natural, it's a dumb thing to do. But ultimately, spiritually speaking, you're righteous. So when you're sinning, you know, you're going against your true nature, but your true nature is righteous. Your true nature is healed. You are healed now. You might have symptoms in your body. You might have sickness in your body, but really you are healed. They're just symptoms. You are prosperous. You've got provision for you. You might have lack in the natural, but in spiritually speaking, you're a blessed person. We need to identify the real us, the spiritual us. In fact, I tell people, you know, you are a spirit. The real you is a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. But the real you is a spirit. So we can tell how we look in the flesh by looking in the mirror, right? So you look in the mirror and you see what you look like in the flesh. You can check your feelings to see how you feel in your soul. You know, your soul is your mind and your will and your emotions. You can check your feelings. You can think about, how do I feel right now? What's going on? But to find out who you really are in the spirit, there's only one way you can do that, and that's through the Word of God. The Word of God shows you. James calls it a mirror. It shows you who you are in Christ. It shows you the real you. That's why things like those confession cards are important. That's why it's important for you to get connected to a good life-giving church like this so you can find out who you are on a Sunday morning. There's a lot of churches out there. You go there and you get beaten up. They tell you who you are in your flesh and in your soul and all the things you've missed. You need to come to a church that's going to tell you who you are in Christ. If you go to a church at the moment, and I'm not against that, I'm just saying, if you go to a church at the moment and you walk in there and say, it's a nice sunny day, this is great, praise the Lord, and then the pastor whips you for an hour and you come out going, I'm just a worm. Man, I'm, I'm a no good nothing. That's not a good church. You need to go to a church where the pastor's going to actually tell you who you are in Christ and you go leaving like, I can take on the world. That's what you're going to get here at Overcomers, by the way. Shameless plug. But you need to go to a life-giving church that's actually going to build you up in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. So Jesus already paid the price for it. And I love this illustration. I, I tell it most places and my kids say, Dad, you tell that illustration all the time. You need a new one, but I can't find a better one. So if I find a better one, I'll tell it. But I like this illustration. Jesus took on everything for us and took our place. We get all the goods. It's the great exchange. It's a powerful thing. And in, in Romans 8.37, the Apostle Paul calls us more than conquerors. Okay, you heard that? So in all these things, you are more than conquerors. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. And I asked the Lord once, what's more than a conqueror? He said, well, he showed me a picture of two heavyweight boxers. When I was a kid, I used to watch boxing. In fact, I had a friend who was a Christian boxer. And he actually, I said, how do you do that? Like, you're a Christian and you're a fighter? He said, I just punch him in Jesus' name. I was like, <laughs> seriously, true story. And then he'd pray for their healing afterwards. Which I, thought, I couldn't get my mouth. Anyway, I used to watch boxing when I was a kid, like Lennox Lewis and, and Mike Tyson and all that. Two heavyweight boxers are fighting. Imagine this. One knocks the other one down, right? And there's a winner. And they lift up his arms. They say, he is the champion of the world. He's the world champion. They give him a big gold belt, put it on his shoulder. And they lift up his arms. And he's, you know, he's been fighting. He's a little bit like, Adrian, you know. And they say, and they say, here's, they say here's the gold. The, you're the heavyweight champion of the world. And then they give him a purse, which I think is interesting because he's a grown man. Why not give him like a wallet or a check? But they give him a purse. And that this purse could be like $50 million, right, prize money. And they say to him, he is the champion of the world. And they give him a $50 million prize money and they lift up his arms. He's a conqueror. Okay, he's conquered. He's a conqueror. He's done the work. He's conquered. But then his wife, she jumps in the ring and she walks across the canvas and she leans out and kisses him on the cheek. And she takes that $50 million and she goes down the mall to spend it. Now, here's a conqueror. She's more than a conqueror, okay? That's what it's like when you gave your life to Jesus. That's what grace is about. 
You, through your relationship with Jesus, you get all the spoils without having to do the work. Jesus did the work for us. Grace provided for us. He did the work for us. Now, through our relationship with him, when me and Kylie got married, I said, honey, now we're married. You've got my name. You can go down the bank. You can empty it out. And you can spend that $5 however you want to spend it. <laughs> In fact, I don't think we even had $5 when we got married. So anyway, you can spend it however you want to spend it. That's what happens. Jesus becomes our husbandman. And our relationship with Jesus, the word, is where everything resides. That's where we get all our nutrients. That's where we get everything. And the good news is we haven't got to go anywhere to get it. He lives in us, the hope of glory, right? He lives in us. We have everything we need. We just need to release what we already need. You know, one time we found a dead bird. We thought it was dead on the pathway of our house. And the kids were little at the time. They walked in, and they saw this bird, and they're like, Dad, what's that? And I was like, oh, he's just sleeping. I think it was a goner, you know? I was like, he was like, just sleeping. So we walked in the house. So Carly said, go back out there and clear it up because the kids would be upset. So I went, and it was just like a little tiny, like a, a blob of jello. I mean, it was just like a little pink thing on the, on the path. So I went to pick it up, and the thing was alive. So I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So we left it out there to see if the mum had come back. She never did. So we picked it up. Carly Googled, like, how to raise a bird. True story. So you have to get, in case you're wondering, you have to get like coffee stirrers and put dog food on them and then jam it down their necks to feed them. That's how you feed, like their mum does. Yes, yes. So anyway, we raised that bird, didn't we? We had a heat lamp. We got serious about it. We can't let it die. We had a heat lamp. We used it. We, we were vested. We used the little, uh, dog. we was up every two hours in the night to feed it. It's just, I know it sounds crazy, but it's like, you can't just let it die. So, and I didn't realize at the time, Carly had a faith project. She's like, Lord, if you could make this bird fly, if this bird, you know, we was early on in our, in our ministry, that was back, back in the day, probably, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago or something. So anyway, this bird, we raised it. We even took it on vacation, didn't we? We went on vacation, what are we going to do is take the bird of us. Anyway, true story. This bird grew, got feathers. Next thing I know, this thing's flying around the house, just a wild bird. Anyway, my point in saying all that is, have you ever tried to catch a bird in a building? Very difficult. Almost impossible. I can t- tell you from experience, Okay. But if you've got a bird in your hand, you know how hard easy it is to release? So imagine these two examples. If you had a bird in your hand right now, it's almost difficult to not release it. I mean, that bird's trying to get out your hand. You just have to open your hands up, and it's gone. If you have a bird in a building like this, it will take you hours, if not impossible, for you to catch that bird. As Christians, a lot of the body of Christ are trying to catch something they think they need to catch they haven't got yet, when really we need to release what we already have. And if we are going around trying to get something, I need to get my healing, I need to get my provision, I need to get my peace, I need to get my righteousness, it's like you run around trying to catch a bird in a building, it's impossible almost. But if you realize you've already got it, all you've got to do is open your hands up and release what you've already got on the inside. You haven't got to go anywhere, you've already got everything you need in Christ. You are complete in him, Colossians 2.10, you're complete in 9 and 10. You're complete in him, praise God. So anyway, that's verse 11, Matthew 11, let's look at verse 12, that's what I really want to get to. But in the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is one of these scriptures that people use all different ways. And and people say, you know, that means we need to start getting pitchforks and start fighting people and stuff. Well, there's different ways you interpret this. The word violence here and and being taking something by force is actually talking about pressing into something. It's actually talking about going deep into something. It's actually talking about being intentional. It's actually talking about seizing something. Okay, the kingdom of God is something that we press into. Okay, we push into, we actively pursue. And one of the problems is, uh, especially in grace circles, whatever you want to call them, is people are like so passive. They're like, well, we just rest, brother. Don't tell me to do anything. I just need to rest. Well, I understand that Jesus has already done it. We're meant to rest. But resting doesn't mean passivity doing nothing. In fact, we're meant to labor into his rest, right? So there's actually a labor to rest in the finished works of Jesus. And if we go around just saying, well, I don't have to do anything. I think we can get off in two ditches. We can get off into works where we're trying to do stuff to receive something from God. Wrong. 
But we can also get over here into ultra rest or extreme rest where we don't do anything. We just lay down and say, whatever case there are, are, if this meant to happen, it's going to happen. I'm just going to rest in the Lord. Either ditch is not a good place to be. We need to labor because it's a finished work. We need to press in because it's a finished work. We need to say, you know what? Not on my watch. I'm not letting a fallen angel who's defeated take anything from me. I'm not letting my flesh, you know, my, my if this offends you, I'm sorry, my dumb mind who can't be trusted, my dumb emotions who I can't trust, take steal from me. I'm going to press into the kingdom of God. I'm going I'm to pursue the things of God. I'm going to make it my intention to pursue the things of God because it's already done. Why wouldn't you want to pursue what's already finished? Why wouldn't you want to press into the things of God? Why wouldn't you want to go after something that's so good, that's so precious and again it's not a working thing it's not trying to get something you haven't got it's an intentionality to say you know I'm going to take this I'm going to make sure that my soul is lined up to my spirit I'm going to make sure that everything God's given to me I'm going to take and taking it by force and it's a powerful thing and a lot of the time we get passive it's not a passive thing it's a power even wait on the Lord I'm going to wait on the Lord you know waiting on the Lord is more like a waiter waiting at your table if you've got a good server in England we don't tip right or we tip very little they're just paid to be servers so they don't believe in the commission system. So we came to America. Like, this is awesome. They're actually people actually serving us. I'm going to tip them really good. I'm going to give them like 5%. And then someone said, actually, this is in America. We do things a bit different. So I found out. So anyway, so I've improved, praise the Lord. But anyway, um, in England, we don't tip. So people aren't very, servers aren't very attentive. But here, if you get a good server, they're watching, right? Do they need anything? Fill their glass up. Do they need anything? Waiting on the Lord is more like, what's the Lord up to? I want to make sure that I'm right there. I'm in prayer. I'm praying the Holy Ghost. I'm spending time with him. Uh, He's my pursuit. He's he's who I'm going after. And you see what happens is he will show you. He'll reveal his heart to you, praise God. So we want to be pressing in. And we we have lots of definitions of faith. This is, By the way, this is what I'm talking about is actually pursuing God, actually being a, a people of faith, actually walking by faith. See, grace has provided it, but faith is our response to that grace. Faith, grace is yes, everything's done, finished, completed. Faith is our amen, I receive it. We're saved by grace through faith. That means it's a two-part, that means we have to respond. If it was just grace, then everyone would be saved, everyone would be healed. But no, it takes our response because God wants people to love him for, because they want to, a free will, a choice. God's given us a choice to pursue him. So our reaction to what he's already done, our response is faith. And by faith, we do these things. That's why Hebrews 11 is, is full of faith right here. I love the definitions of faith. There's lots of different definitions of faith. Carly has some good ones. Just for today, this is my definition of faith. And I like this. This is just for today. This is, this is my definition of faith as we're talking about the violent take it by force. Faith is believing so deeply that the kingdom of God, with all its authority and promises, are already ours for the taking, that it drives us to a passionate action. Sometimes illogical, sometimes irrational, sometimes dangerous action, but it drives us to action. James 2 talks about, uh, James 2 around 20 says, faith without, chorus, faith without works is dead. And Martin Luther was so mad at that because he, you know, he believed in the finished works of Christ. He wanted to rip that out of the Bible. He said, let's just take James out of the Bible. Well, how about we just interpret what it is? If you actually study it out, faith without corresponding actions is dead. Faith without acting, meaning this, if you're not acting, it's probably because you don't believe it. If you truly believe it, you're going to act. Now, here's what a lot of people do. They try and act to try and make it happen. But really, we have to believe it first. And there's only one way faith comes, right? And that's by the Word of God. So we spend time in the Word of God. We spend time in Jesus' presence. And then he gives us the faith to act. Don't act and then think the faith's going to come. What happens is, is you, you study the Word. You, you get a Word from God. You keep that fellowship with God. And then he'll give you the faith to act. But if you truly believe something, you'll act. If I tell you there's a... $100 bill strapped to the bottom of your seat right now. Someone's going to check, look. 
I did that once. I did actually do that once in a church. I haven't done it this time, I promise, but I did actually put $100 under a seat. It was fun to watch. Seats were going flying. Anyway, so <laughs> I won't do it again. It was super violent. I said, anyway, it's amazing what people do for $100. Anyway, if I told you that, all right, if I told you there's $100,000 in cash in your front yard, you would get a shovel and go and look for it, right? If you believed me, you would look for it. If you didn't believe me, you could say all you want. You could say, yeah, I think it's, it's there. But if you really believe something, you're going to act on it. And faith drives us to action. So faith, I'll say that quote again, faith is believing so deeply that the kingdom of God, with all its authority and promises, are already ours for the taking. That it drives us to passionate action, sometimes illogical, sometimes irrational, sometimes dangerous action. I've also got here, faith could be spelled R-I-S-K, risk. But the return on investment of living by faith is immeasurable. See, we're meant to live by faith, not just camp there, not just vacation there. We're meant to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that the just shall live by faith. This is meant to be the normal Christian life. In fact, you could go even more extreme and say, you know, Romans 14, 23 says, whatever's not of faith is sin. So really, we need to be living all the time, every moment by faith. It's not just all of a sudden, oh man, I've got sickness, I better get in faith. Or I've got a financial need, I better get in faith. Or I'm not sure what's happening in my business or whatever, I better get in faith. It's not something we get into, it's something we're meant to live and dwell in all the time. And it's the normal Christian life. And it's powerful. And one of the reasons why we struggle to live by faith is because living by faith is, like I've said there, is sometimes illogical, sometimes irrational, sometimes even seemingly dangerous. But it's the best and only way to live as a born-again believer, is to live by faith. And God will ask us to do things that don't make logical sense because it's going to take faith to do them. So I've got some examples here. Let's look at, for instance, in the area of provision. Okay, God wants to provide for us. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh, one of the seven redemptive names. He's our provider. He's more than enough. He's the God who provides for his people. He wants to be our provider. But have you know, the world's way of doing things are opposite to God's way of doing things. That's what takes faith. So really, what happens is, is we get born again, and then we still try and operate like the world, and then wonder why we don't get kingdom results. So in 2008, I moved, or two, yeah, 2008, we moved from United Kingdom, the kingdom, you know, United Kingdom, Wolbertania, and then we, we moved, and we moved over to America, United States of America, praise the Lord, okay? So we did that in 2008. It's a good decision. Haven't regretted it. Now, here's the deal. When you changed address... Well, I changed address. Things were different in two different countries, two different kingdoms. When you got born again, you changed kingdom. And sometimes we forget this as born again believers. You went, was it Colossians 1.13, I think? You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. Spiritually speaking, everything changed when you become a new covenant believer. When you, when you gave your life to Jesus, everything changed. Therefore, spiritually speaking, your address changed. You went from one kingdom to another kingdom. And the light and darkness, they're complete opposite. We say in England, chalk and cheese. You don't say chalk and cheese. That's one of them sayings. We, there's a lot of sayings in England that you don't say here. I also get in trouble because there's a lot of words that we use that you don't use and you use that we don't use. So, I know. <laughs> I have cussed a few times unknowingly because some words in English aren't cuss words until you say them. First time I ever taught in Bible school, Caris Bible College. I was so blessed. I, I went there as a graduate. Like we graduated in England, if you didn't know. In 2006, we went to Bible school. And then we went to... Um, uh, the, the Colorado school for our third year, so they had me up teaching. First day I was there, I was teaching, so I'm up there teaching, and I'm teaching a leadership class, and I wrote on the board. I said, never assume. You don't want to assume. If you assume, I said, look, A-S-S-U-M-E. Never assume. It makes a donkey out of you and me. And everyone went, and I thought, oh, they're getting it. This is really hitting home. I was like, I need to, I was like, that's right, it'll make a donkey. I really went for it, like, I said the A-S-S word, and they were like, oh, like that. 
After about three, three, three or four times, um, they said to me, uh, do you usually cuss when you teach? I was like, what? <laughs> like, that doesn't mean anything in England. But anyway, it's actually in the, new, in the Old King James. The Old King James Version has got some interesting words in there because it's English. Anyway, you have to, you have to, like, you have to like, anyway, <laughs> moving on. So you can get in trouble. How do I get off onto that? Different countries. Okay. So I know... I could tell you some embarrassing stories. Actually, I can only tell that one in the men's. If you ever have me for a men's conference, I've got some good stories I've, where I got confused about words. Anyway, I can't do that here. But anyway, so <laughs> praise the Lord. I'm embarrassing myself. Just know that when you go to England, be careful. There's different words over there for things over here, and they can be, they can be very um, interesting. So anyway, different countries. When we moved to America, I had to learn how to do things differently because a different address means a different way of doing things. So I came over here, I started driving down a three-lane highway, and I was just minding my own business. Well, this is great, sunshine in Colorado. I look up, and three cars are coming straight on, head on towards me. 50 miles an hour, straight on. I thought, what are these three idiots doing on the wrong side of the road? Then I realized it was me. I'm on the wrong side of the road. I had to do a U-turn in the middle of the, the three-lane highway. And I'm telling you, it was dangerous, scary. Even now, like, I, I, just recently, I was pumping gas, and I opened the passenger door of my car, got in, sat down, put the seatbelt on, looked up, no steering wheel. I'm like, oh, man, uh, people are probably watching me. They probably think, what's that idiot doing? So I'm like, okay, open the glove box, going through there, the owner's manual. I was looking for the owner's manual. Get out, walk all the way back around again, <laughs> get in the right side. Because why? Because all my life I was used to driving on one side of the road, and now I came over here, you drive on the other side of the road. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't matter why English drive on the left and you drive on the right. That doesn't matter. Here's the point. When you're in England, drive on the left, when you're in America, driving the right. If I came over here and said, you know what? Bless God, I've driven all my life on the left. I like driving on the left. It's much more comfortable, much more natural. I think I'm going to carry on driving on the left. Can you imagine how far I would have got driving down the interstate on the wrong side of the road? Now, I would have either been in a wreck, right, or, you know, arrested or dead. I would not have got very far. I would have been very frustrated. If I tried to drive from here to St. Louis on the left-hand side of the interstate, I would have got very frustrated. And that's what's happening as born-again believers. So your address changed as a born-again believer. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's why we're seated with him in heavenly places. That's why we're just ambassadors here on earth. You're just an ambassador here. This is not your real home. You've got 120 years max and, or whatever you're believing for, and that's it. It's, it's a very small amount of time compared to eternity. That's why you know, you're one spirit of the Lord. It's hard to tell when you know, the Lord's spirit ends and your spirit starts because you're one spirit of the Lord. You are a new creation. You have actually, your address is heaven. Your address is the kingdom of God. It's not here. And that's why we get frustrated when we try and do things the world's way of doing things. We have someone that wrongs. So in the area of provision, for instance, God will say, if you want extra... You've got to give. You've got to trust me with your money and give. That's complete opposite to the world's way of doing things. Think about that. That's the opposite. Hang on a minute. You're telling me that I'm short of money and God wants me to give money away? That makes no sense. The widow woman had two mites. That's all she had. It wasn't enough for her kids. And, the, and she came and gave it into the offering. And Jesus used her as an example of generosity. That's the generous woman. When I get to heaven, I'm going to look for her. She's going, I'm going to have a sign, you know, like one of those airport signs, you know, Mr. Smith. It's going to say, widow woman with two mites. I want to find out what happened to her. And I guarantee you she prospered because she trusted God and put God first. We know it, God's word works. But Jesus used her as an example of generosity. Why? Because the best place for our finances is in the kingdom of God. So Hebrews, um, no, Proverbs 11, 24. Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, There's one who gives liberally, who scatters, and yet increases more. Yet there's one who withholds more than is right and leads to poverty. Now, get this. You can withhold what's right. There's nothing wrong with having savings, investments. You should have storehouses and all that. That's fine. But ultimately, you should be living for your giving because that's how you increase. So the world would say, well, if you're short of money, hold all you can. What does Andrew say? Get all you can. 
uh, can all you get and sit on the can, okay? That's the world's way of thinking. The kingdom of God is complete opposite. The kingdom of God says give. But there's so many other examples of this. Think about it. If you have someone who wrongs you, an enemy, what does the kingdom of God say? Love them. If you, have a, if you want to be the greatest leader, what does the kingdom of God say? Be the greatest servant. If you want to, if you want to be first, the kingdom of God says be last. If you want wisdom... Speaking babble, speaking tongues. I mean, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind because it's complete opposite to the world's way of doing things. We have to be walking by faith and living by faith and not trying to do the way the world does. So what happens is God tells us, we read the word, God speaks to us and says, do this. And we go, uh, it doesn't compute because it's, it's wrong. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense into my natural intellect. It's not going to make sense to your natural intellect. You can't really make sense of the word of God of your natural mind. And if you're super intelligent, I pray for you because it's tough. Okay. I'd rather be simple, just like read it and believe it. He's a man of his word, like we sang last night. You know what? God says it. I believe it. Let's do it. We need to really simplify things. That's why God says he likes childlike faith. Not because he wants us to be childish. No, but he wants us to believe him. You can tell a child, you know, something, and they believe you. Kind of a scary concept. But you can believe. They can, I can't wait for grandkids. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, I'm going to have the grandkids call me grandfather. Not papa or anything. I want to say grandfather. I think that's more. Anyway, like in an English accent. I'm going to teach my grandkids. How cool would that be? My grandkids in English. Imagine like a little two-year-old going, grandfather. Wouldn't that be cool? Come on. That's what I'm going to do. Anyway, you do what you want to do. You can do papa and nana and all that. I'm going to do grandfather. Anyway, how do I get off on that? You got no idea? <laughs> We're having fun. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? We're laughing. We're laughing in the Lord. But did anyone remember what I was saying? Grandfather, grandchildren. No one was listening, no? I was going somewhere. Teaching? Influence? Childlike faith. Thank you, Liz. Someone was listening. Thank you, Jesus. Carly says I don't listen to her properly or something like that. I can't remember. But anyway, so <laughs> childlike faith. God wants us to read it, believe it, and do it. It's very simple. We don't have to overcomplicate things. And the minute you start taking a word from God and trying to logic it out and trying to reason it out, you're in trouble. It doesn't work. Just do what the word says. Do what the word says. In, in, uh, March, on March the 16th, 2020, I'm at my home church. We go to our home church when we're not preaching to other churches. And um, I'm there. And I said, Lord, they've shut down the country. We can't travel. We had to cancel all our healing events. We had to cancel all our international travel. We had to cancel all the churches we were going to. And I didn't know how long it'd last for. I said, Lord, what do you want us to do? We've got all these people on staff. I think we had like eight or ten full-time employees at the time. I was like, Lord, what am I going to do? I've got payroll to pay. I'm just being real. And I was there at church. I said, what do you want to do, Lord? How are we going to cope with this situation that's happening? you know, with our ministry. And the Lord said, I want you, very clearly, he said, I want you to double your giving. I want you to double your giving. It was already given a lot. And I was like, I can't hear you, Lord. I was like, no, please. <laughs> Must be the devil telling me to do that. I was like, no, there's no way. And the Lord spoke to me. And I said to Carly, Carly, the Lord's told us to double our giving. She said, how sure are you? I said, I'm about 90% sure. Because I'm never 100% sure until afterwards, right? You look back and go, well, that was God. But at the time, it takes faith. I was like 90% sure. And I was like, oh, man. And the Lord said, double your giving. So we started doubling our giving in March 2020. By the end of 2020, our ministry had almost completely doubled in finances, staff, influence. I'm telling you, God's not trying to take from us. He's trying to get more to us. But our natural mind will be like, that doesn't make sense. Don't worry about it making sense or not. It's the power of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's walking by faith. Most of the stories, all the stories of provision, Old Testament, New Testament, don't make sense to our natural mind. But they were faith. They were operated by faith. You can apply this to other areas, like I've said, in, in, with people. If someone wrongs you, you love them. Someone, you've got an enemy, you, you, you love them, you forgive them. You do these things. These things work in relationships. These things work in, in promotion. If you're looking, what's the will of God in my life? What do I, what, how do I get promoted? You serve, you trust God, you do things as unto the Lord. 
You do things opposite to the natural way of doing things. You do things according to the kingdom of God, and guess what happens? You will see kingdom of God results. We can't be citizens of heaven trying to live by the world's rules. And I'm seeing this more and more, especially over the last two years, the crazy last two years, right? The world's gone crazy. I've just got news for you. I hate to upset you. It's not going to go back to normal again. But that's good news for us because we're in this reformation right now. We're in this time. You know, the Lord told me in, in um, February 2020, he woke me up and he says, you know, I usually get up about four or five. He woke me up at two. I knew it was serious. He said to me, he said, you know what? The body of Christ is going to be going through a reformation. It's like a, it's an awakening. It's something that's completely different. He said the world is going to take one big step backwards. How many of you can testify? Over the last two years, the world's taken one big step backwards. But the body of Christ can take two big steps forward. We can go forward. This is, this is a great time for us to be alive. God chose for you to be born at such a time as this. You need to thank God and say, God, thank you that I was born for such a time as this. Thank you that you've trusted me to lead in such a time as this. And up until now, up until two years ago, really, if you was an American and living here in America, you didn't really need God, right? It's like American, is, we've got all our needs met. Well, now people are going to need God. Now people are going to cry out for God. Why? Because all, everything they trusted in has been shaken. And maybe, maybe this has happened for some of you. Maybe, maybe some of you have been shaken over these last two years of all what's going on. Here's one of the problems about living in America. I love America. Listen, we, me and Kylie came over here in 2008, and we did everything we could. We, we did, went all through the visa process, then the green card process, then the citizenship process, and now we're citizens. But it's hard work to become an American citizen. So if, you, if you're born a citizen, well done. It cost us literally tens of thousands of dollars to be American citizens, to do it legally. And, and, and it also cost me some dignity. I mean, I had to get medicals. I didn't even know this. Like, one of the things they did was they did a medical on me. True story. This may be TMI. Because you've got to go and get a medical. I was like, I hate doctors. I don't know what it is. If you're a doctor, I love you. But what is it when you go to the doctors or hospitals? They always want to get you naked. It's like, i got a sore throat. Strip off. No, i just got a sore throat. So, so, I get, so I, I'm just saying. Hey, this is TMI. I get there, and they give me a gown. I'm like, oh, no, please. Like, strip off. I'm like, here we go. This is just for my, my green card. They did a medical exam on me for my green card. I mean, a full medical exam. Carly lied to me. She said, oh, it's just blood pressure. It wasn't just blood pressure. They stripped me naked. I came home. They said, Dad, how was it? I said, I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> so, so it cost us something to be American citizens, okay? We love America, okay? So before anyone says we don't, we love America. In fact, I think sometimes I appreciate America more not being raised here because I appreciate the freedoms. I appreciate the values here. I appreciate how godly this country is. I believe it's, a, it's the best country on the planet. But the downside is we were never designed to trust in a country. And here's what's happened over the last two years. I've seen a lot of born-again believers, people that are strong believers, get shaken because they've trusted in their country. We're never meant to trust in our country, folks. We're meant to trust in Jesus. He's the only rock. He's the only rock. We can't trust in the country. We have to trust in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we just let things go. You do what God's convicted you to do. Okay, you can do all that. But I'm saying ultimately your trust can only be on Jesus. That's the only rock. Everything else is sinking sand. And when you put your trust on Jesus, all of a sudden you say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens. Because ultimately, I've read the back of the book, we win. Ultimately, you know what? Jesus is Lord and nothing's going to change. Ultimately, every single person, every politician, every lying tongue out there, even the devil himself is going to bow the knee and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That's something to be thankful for, praise God. We're on the winning side and we need to get excited. You know what? The darker the world gets, the lighter we get. And we have more influence and we get more say because people are going to, people are going to knock on our doors and say, you know what? I need to know what's going on because you're at peace and I'm freaking out. How can you, you know, take me to your leader? 
People are going to ask us about Jesus. We're not going to have to beg people to come to the kingdom. People are going to be scrambling. These next five to ten years, mark my words, there's going to be a great harvest of people. And people are going to walk through these doors. And some of you are going to say, who is this? You know who they are? They're sinners. They're people that are desperate for the Lord. And they're not going to be, they're not going to be nice, clean American Christians that walk in and sit down and say amen at the right times. There's going to be messy. It's going to be awesome. People's lives are going to be changed. And God is, you know, who did Jesus hang around? Jesus hung around. Nowadays, it would have been the, you know, then it was the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Nowadays, it would be, it would be you know, the same thing, prostitutes, but people that are criminals and drug addicts and people that have been convicted of things and people that don't believe the same as you politically are going to come to this church. And what we're going to do, we're going to love them. We're not going to be divisive. We're going to love them. People get freaked out. Like if I love someone and accept them, I'm compromising my views. You're not compromising your views. You're being Jesus to them. Jesus sat and ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and some of the worst people on the planet. He didn't compromise one bit of what he believed. He knew exactly what he believed. He went and loved them and accepted them. And I'm fed up with the body of Christ being too divisive at the moment and not walking by faith. To walk by faith means to love people where they're at. You want to walk by faith, try loving people. That's tough. But we need to love people and accept people. And guess what's going to happen? You know, these trans uh, people that are uh, struggling with their gender. Let me just say this. It's really unfortunate that the church aren't accepting people and loving people and the LGBTQ, XYZ, WRX, I don't know what it is, anyway, community, are more accepting as whole than the, than the church are people. That's really sad. Do we compromise our beliefs? No, I, I believe 100%. I believe the word of God. I believe in, in a, a man and a woman. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. I actually believe marriage has been attacked. The family's been attacked because it's a picture of God. And I believe that's why the family's always been, marriage has been under such attack because it's a picture of God. And um, that's why it's been attacked. Marriage has been attacked right now. Do we compromise our beliefs? No. But when someone walks in who don't, they don't know their identity and they're struggling, the last thing they need is to be judged and a hand pushed up. You're not welcome here. People need to be welcome whatever they're going through. And then turn the love of God, the goodness of God will lead man to repentance. And I've seen the goodness of God change people's lives. I've seen, people, I've seen people's physical body healed. But you know what? That really, as great as that is, is, is like the least of things. I've seen people's emotions healed. I've seen people's marriages healed. I've seen people's identity healed. I've seen people healed in every area of their life. The gospel, the power of God, the love of God will heal anything and everything every time. Let's be conduits of that. Let's make sure that we're leading with the love of God. Let's make sure we're walking by faith. And walking, you know, Faith works by love. And as we love people, as we accept how much God loves us, I'll end with this, as we accept how much God loves us, we're going to be able to love others. See, I used to read things like, you know, the love chapter and think in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, I'd read that and think, I've got to love God more. I've got to love God more. Now, actual fact, we've got to understand how much God loves us, and then that love is going to come out of us. You know, when Jesus got baptized, I think Carly talk, uh, touched on this yesterday, when Jesus got baptized, uh, Mark 1, verse 11, it says, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, Jesus, what, what God said about Jesus, he said about us. He, you are his beloved child in whom he's well pleased. Why? Because Jesus dwells in you. When God looks at you, he's, you are his beloved child. And this is a little bit cheesy. My kids say, Dad, that's cheesy, but I'm going to say it. You know, I say to people, what do you need to do? You need to be loved. Just be loved. You are God's beloved and if you'll meditate on that and understand, it's a little bit like an airplane, right? Put your own oxygen on first before you help other people. And get grounded in God's love and you'll be able to help more people. God loves you. doesn't matter where you've been, you know, how old you are, how young you are, all the mistakes you've made. God loves you and he looks at you. And when I first heard this, I thought, this is sacrilegious. But when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and he loves you the same as he loves Jesus. And I thought, Lord, I'm going to need a scripture for that. He said, how many do you want? 
So he showed me like John, was it 17, 23? Jesus praying and said, God, I thank you that you love them, talking about us, exactly the same as you love me. 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we. In heaven, no, in this world. God loves you like he loves Jesus. And then we need to meditate on that and we need to stop listening to our minds, our natural thinking. And that takes faith to accept that. One of the greatest faith steps you'll make is believing that God loves you just as he loves Jesus. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, God loves you, 100%. And then you'll be able to help more people. And that's the truth. That's walking by faith, believing that God loves you, believing that you're forgiven, believing that you're holy, sanctified, perfect, complete in him. And it's going to flow out of you. And God has only got good things for us. He wants to be your provider. He wants to be your protector. He wants to bring people around you, the right people at the right time. He wants to give you these things. He wants to promote you. He wants to exalt you. Exalt you? Yeah, he exalts the humble. It's humility to walk by faith, saying, God, I'm going to trust you and believe in you. And God's got such great things for you. So we can trust his word every time. It never fails. His word never returns void. And Jesus loves us. So why would we be listening to the natural way of doing things? Why would we be listening to the world's way of doing things? Turn the news off. Turn the craziness off. Work, live by the kingdom of God. And you watch what happens. I'm telling you, you can, it's amazing what God can do with a submitted believer. Someone who says, yes, that's me. You know, the eyes of the Lord, what is it, First, uh, First Chronicles 16, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal towards him. Basically meaning whose hearts are saying, yes, Lord, use me. I'm a bit of a mess. I don't really understand everything. I've made all these mistakes. I still don't understand some things. But I'm here to, I want you to use me. And I'm telling you what, God is looking for people to step up and walk by faith. In fact, it's the only way to live right now is by faith. We need our faith right now to be strong. And God's going to build us up. Praise He's looking for an army of people. And I see this army right here at Overcomers. I see, I see people that are turning the world right side up. Like I said last night, you know what? These few have turned the world right side up. And that's right here. You can change this whole community by believing God right here. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.